Welcome to the Love is Viral show. I'm your host, Jeanette Schneider, the founder and CEO of Live Media and the creator of the Live Pocket Coach on the Apple App Store. Our premise at Live is simple. A healthier you today leads to a healthier world tomorrow. Our guests include neuroscientists, therapists, professors, coaches, authors, yogis, speakers, entrepreneurs, and those who believe that a bigger, better life can be found at the intersection of mindfulness and science. Join me as we nerd out with a little bit of soul. The Love is Viral show is a live media production. Shelly Paxton's world looks so sexy from the outside. She had a dream job riding motorcycles all around the world while serving as vice president of global marketing and brand, chief marketing officer of Harley Davidson. But yet she felt like she was dying inside. While trying to understand what was happening, Shelly felt guilty, confused, and alone until her soul gave her a literal wake-up call. In 2016, she walked away from the corporate world to become chief soul officer of her life and ultimately her own company. In this episode, we discuss how solitude and meditation can help you reconnect with your soul, the importance of living in alignment with your truth, how to navigate the space between letting go of your corporate identity and finding your true self, the toxicity of should and how to break free, and how to get comfortable with being bold and courageous in the creation of your life. Shelly Paxton is a Chicago-based author, international speaker, and transformational coach, also known as a liberator of souls. Her work has been featured in media outlets such as NBC, CBS, Thrive Global, Forbes, and PBS. Her first book, Soulbatical, A Corporate Rebel's Guide to Finding Your Best Life, was published by Simon & Schuster in January 2020. On the back of her book, Success, she's launching the Rebel Souls podcast with an invitation to flip the middle finger to the status quo in life, business, and the world at large. Someone after my own heart. Shelly spent 26 years as a highly regarded marketing and advertising executive, stewarding some of the world's most iconic brands, including Harley Davidson, Visa, McDonald's, and AOL. Shelly launched Soulbatical with the mission to liberate the souls of leaders and organizations by inspiring them to embrace their greatest truth, purpose, and possibility. As a certified professional coach, Shelly works with executives at Fortune 100 companies and fellow Rebel Soul individuals and entrepreneurs. She is also trained with some of the top teachers in the world, including researcher and five-time New York Times bestselling author, Brene Brown. She's on a mission to liberate a billion souls. Let's dig in. Hi, this is Jeanette Schneider, and welcome back to the Love is Viral show. I'm here with Shelly Paxton. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Jeanette. Good to be here. Absolutely. So I'm I'm very curious about your your book and your platform because um, it's such a juxtaposition. I know you are an executive with Harley Davidson. I came from corporate America myself, so it's kind of funny. But you think of Harley Davidson as being like rough and tumble, and you went on what you refer to as a soul sabbatical. And I'm always curious when you find people that have come from the corporate space who are are talking about mindfulness and self development. And I'm always curious about that kind of like that, that jump. And I'm hoping you can kind of share with us, like what made you go from that world uh, to say, I need to go out. I need to, to change it up. I need to shake things up and I need to talk about my soul experience. Yeah, it is. Well, you're right. It's a total juxtaposition and it's not a common one. <laughs> so uh, yeah, just for a little context, I spent 26 years in corporate America. So it sounds like you and I have at least a portion yeah. of that in common. And the last six and a half years of it were at Harley in uh, the senior most marketing position. And it was 
So interestingly, I mean, I, I like to refer, I'd like to say that my world looked so sexy from the outside, right? Mm. I tr- ticked all the traditional boxes of success. I had it all. I had the iconic brand. I had the big title. I had the big paycheck. I had, you know, the the dream of riding motorcycles around the world as part of my job, what I got paid for. And yet... I was feeling empty inside and it felt like to me it was I felt guilty and I felt confused and I felt really alone in trying to understand what's going on. How can you spend this many years, like over a quarter of a century, trying to climb to the top of the corporate mountain, which is something I thought I should do. And you get there and it's like, wait a second. Was this, is this all there is? Why don't I feel happy? Why don't I feel more energized? Why do I feel like I'm kind of dying on the inside? And I continued to ignore that. So I had that feeling, but I was like stuffing it down and stuffing it down sure. and it was numbing. I was drinking a bottle of wine before I went to bed every night. And then the universe kind of conspired with my soul to rip me out of my sleep. And this is actually where my book starts. My book starts with a chapter called Getting Woke Literally. And they, you know, soul and universe conspired. It was like, well, we tried to whisper and then we shouted and now we're going to whack you with a two by four and rip you out of your sleep. In essence, ripping me out of kind of the autopilot that I was in. And we're going to make you face the reality that your soul is being completely neglected. You're not listening to it. You're not nurturing it. You're not even acknowledging it. You're living out of alignment with your truth. Mm-hmm. And I had this nightmare for the entire last year that I was at Harley. It was literally 2 a.m. nearly every single night, ripping me out of my sleep. So I was dazed, confused, groggy, and I was sort of forced ultimately through some meditation to understand that what I was seeing in this nightmare was a proxy for my soul. And this was my opportunity to say, am I going to listen to it? Mm -hmm. You know, am I going to have a whole lot of regret for living someone else's dream for the rest of my life? I got goosebumps as you were talking because I think sometimes we have so much happening within our our minds at such a subconscious level and you'll wake up from from dreams or experiences and you're like, was I supposed to learn something from that? What fear do I have that's un- like, I, I, I've woken up from dreams, especially with COVID. I, I feel like I've had lots of very vivid um, where it's like, I'm apparently supposed to do some work. Um, I'm curious though, like when this happened and you decided like, okay, this is going on for a year, I'm going to do this meditation and try to like, when was the shift? Were you like, oh my God, I got to leave. Like it's time. Or was there like, eh, let me play with this for a little bit longer. Yeah, it definitely wasn't immediate. So, so I say I was having the nightmare for the entire last year that I was there about, Four months in, three to four months in is when I actually said, I need some help. I had a lot of shame around having this nightmare and waking up crying like a a baby in the middle of the night, like curled up in the fetal position, like crying and sweating. I was like, I don't want to tell anybody that I'm experiencing this. I don't even know what I'm experiencing or how I would describe it. But I became so sleep deprived and so kind of delirious and disoriented that I finally went to a doctor. And amongst other things, 
things. He kind of diagnosed me with monkey brain. And he was like, you've got to slow down and you've got to investigate what this means. And my first recommendation for you is meditation. So this was at the age of 45. At 45, I had never even considered meditation after all the, you know, crazy, you know, 24-7 kind of mentality in the corporate world and all of that. I'd never slowed down. So he got me into meditation and I very hesitantly, you know, was kind of challenged getting into it, but I decided I'm going to spend 10 minutes a day. That's where I started. 10 minutes Mm -hmm. a day, getting into it. I got myself the Headspace app and I just kind of went for it and it wasn't easy, but as I practiced it over time, I started to really sink into it. And that's when I started to understand the messages of the nightmare, but honestly, yeah. so so that was one piece of it. And when I understood the message and I was literally going, oh my God, my soul is crying out for help. That is literally what is happening with what I was seeing and the messages I was receiving in these meditations. And from that moment forward, let's call that like six months-ish, I went, you know what? I've really got to, I was asking myself, am I going to get serious? Am I going to invest in the possibility of my future self? Do I want to get curious and investigate what does it look like to reconnect with my soul and to listen deeply and to see where it wants to lead me? And at that point, I started paving my way. Harley didn't know it at that point, but I was starting to lay the foundation for me leaving the company, appointing a successor and making sure that Harley marketing was in the best shape possible when I walked out the door to serve myself. Yeah. I had a very, I had a similar, I was with um, Bank of America, uh, U.S. Trust Bank of America for 23 years. And I had, I was a senior vice president and I had one of those kind of moments. And I spent about two years preparing myself in writing and getting my platform together um, before I made the decision to actually leave. For me, it was a lot longer of a process um, because there was a lot of fear about identity right? And I'm sure you've experienced this. (laughs) This was my biggest, it's so funny. I was just having a conversation with somebody about that. They're like, what was the biggest stumbling block for you? And I'm like, realizing after I walked out the door that my entire adult identity was tethered to my corporate life, to those big brands and those paychecks and everything, titles and all of that. That was the bulk of the work that I ended up doing when I left. That's so funny because I I remember like specifically like shredding my business cards and doing it purposely because I knew how how important the title was. And then like two weeks after I left, I had a, a glass of bourbon and I had music on and I went in my closet and I pulled down all of my like shift dresses and big high heels and suits and I put them in a pile and I cried. And it's been interesting. So I'm curious from your perspective, like I, it took me a minute to be like, who am I? Like, what is my identity outside of this, this great title that I had, this great whatever. And I, I don't think that that answer comes quickly. I think when you've been wrapped up in this identity and this has been how people even in your community see you, it's almost like, well, how do I dress? What do I, what do I, what do I do? Like, what's my thing? Um, who am I? So like, what was that experience for you? 
Oh, 100%. We are so soul sisters when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> so that story, like, again, same thing, goosebumps. I was like, yep, we pretty much lived a very, very similar journey. And yeah, it took me, yep, more, more than a minute. I know you kind of said that with like a wink and a nod. It was, yeah. it took me months if I'm honest. And I had, well, so, so two things I want to say to that. So I want to talk about why I gave myself a title. So I called myself chief soul officer when I was walking out the door. And then I'll talk a little bit about the process of kind of unraveling this identity. So the chief soul officer title was fascinating because when I announced that I was leaving, I had virtually no support. Harley thought I was crazy. My parents and family thought I was crazy. Yeah, I love that you're nodding like, uh -huh. <laughs> I'm like, yes. <laughs> yep. And yes. it's a really lonely space to be in. It's part of why I wanted to write the book because I want other people who are maybe contemplating this or some big change in their life that other people don't understand to know like, I got you. I'm putting an arm around you because it, yeah. it can be a very lonely journey. So- I was like, okay, everybody in my world thinks I'm absolutely crazy. How can I give them a handle? I guess this was kind of the marketer in me, right? I'm like, I want to come up with a creative handle that helps people understand what that this is, it's not a vacation and it's not just a, oh, screw it. You know, I'm just gonna, you know, flip the middle finger to Harley and whatever. And I'm like, it, it was so much deeper than that for me. And I didn't know how to convey it. And that's where literally I woke up one morning and it was like a gift from the universe. I was like, oh, I'm going on a sabbatical because it's a journey to nurture my creative soul and see what it's trying to tell me and where it leads me. And I'm the chief soul officer of my own life. And this speaks to the point that you just made. I was so hung up on titles. Now I completely, yeah. I actually love the title chief soul officer. I still use it in my business, but I use it for different reasons. Then I came up with it because I'm like, well, I was so subservient to titles and so that they meant the world to me that I knew if I had that, I would honor it and I would feel a responsibility mm. and an obligation to my soul and to what it was telling me. So that was kind of the beginning. And then I leave and I start going on this journey. Initially, I said, I'm going to take a year. And I thought, maybe I'll last a year. Maybe I won't. Maybe it'll be longer than a year. Maybe at the end of all of it, I'll decide to go back to the corporate world. I literally had no idea. And this might be why our paving our journeys to get out of the corporate world. Yours took longer because it sounds like you were kind of planning what's next and laying some of that foundation. I literally had no idea. I just said, I'm going on this journey called my soulbatical. Boom. Then I was gone and I had no plan other than to just really listen. And so I busied myself and I did all the things. And then I started traveling and learning lessons and slowing down and taking cues from my soul in the universe. And then I got to New Zealand, which was about, I left Harley in September of 2016 and I flew to New Zealand in January of 2017. So, you know, a four, let's say four and a half months had passed and I ended up staying in New Zealand for over two months. And that's where the real identity crisis and work hit me. 
I had been kind of avoiding it. You know, it was like a bit of a spiritual bypass. Like I'm like, yeah, I'm doing the work. I'm doing the work. But then this like mega storm hit. I had rented this little seaside cottage. I had said I was going to start writing. I was ready to get deep into it and hike every day and just experience all this beauty. And this epic monsoon hits and literally traps me alone in this little seaside cottage in a place I don't know at all. And I'm feet from the ocean, from the earth, from the um, the sea. I guess it, yeah, I guess tough, technically it's the ocean, or the Pacific Ocean. And I'm like, that thing is going to come rolling into the living room and I'm going to be like perched on the kitchen counter. And all of it just happened at once where I realized, oh, this is another sign from the universe. It's like hunker down alone and do the inner work that you're meant to do. Your circle is everything, and I like to invite you to join mine. Today, the Love is Viral show is brought to you by Gold Circle on Live Pocket Coach. Our exclusive Gold Circle membership includes over 130 pieces of content on self-development, relationships, money, and vision, weekly group coaching calls, monthly webinars, and access to our private live community in real time for a fraction of the price you pay for traditional coaching. The Gold Circle is interactive. As you share, we build the courses and offer you the circle you have been looking for to move you to the next level in your life. Download the Live Pocket Coach on Apple and select the Gold Circle membership from the subscription options in the menu. I'll see you in the circle. And it it's was so funny it, how that yeah. happens. It's like it's, oh. it gives you this kind of gift. I actually I flew to Africa. I went to Tanzania after I left, and I wasn't there. I was only there for twelve days. But then, like when I was finishing up my book, um, I got to. I was in Hawaii for my book, and I got to Hawaii for seven days, and they could not find my luggage. And all I had on me was my laptop, some notebooks, and my favorite tea. And I was like. I'm here for seven days and I have nothing but things to write with. Like, it's uh-huh. crazy how you're given these kind of opportunities to stretch yourself and like, all right, I get it. I get it. It's so true. And I, and I write about this in the book. I'm like, literally, I was just like, who am I? Who am I? Like, I was just asking these questions over and over again, trying to peel back the layers and get really honest with myself because I realized like, we're really good liars to ourselves, you know? Amen. My favorite coaching question is, what are you pretending not to know? Right. And I just realized like, oh my God, I'm pretending not to know so much stuff. And the biggest one is that I had placed, you know, more importance on net worth than self-worth. Yeah. And suddenly I'm there and I'm like, okay, this is the time we're going to get clear on loving ourselves and getting to know who is Shelly Paxton? What is her essence? I did all these, I now call it like, like an I am a festo. Like it's a manifesto of what I am, who I am, my essence. And it's a really beautiful practice, but man, it's so hard when you're doing it because you're just trying to get to like acknowledging these things about who you are at your core and yeah. in your soul. Like what is your truth? And most of us don't st- sit still long enough to even understand that, let alone kind of wrap ourselves around it. Well, it's kind of like, well, I mean, it's like you're kind of plugged in, right? You're plugged into the systems at play that we've put into place to keep us consuming and producing. And all of a sudden you're taken out of that. And I remember the very first time I did a kind of like 
five days alone with no Wi-Fi. And I was like, this is, this is terrible. This is too much time alone with my thoughts because I was still in corporate America. But then once I got away from it and I had time with my thoughts, it's, it's hard and it's painful, but you realize so much more. And I think I was way more open to it at that point in time. Um, I did have the same experiences where people thought I was crazy, but over time, and I'm sure you've had the same experience, once you actually start to get to know yourself, it's almost like I almost feel sorry for the people who are still plugged in to the system, right? I kind of am like, well, I have, I'm good. I don't have the title that you, you think is important and I don't have the same type of income or the same whatever, but there, I think that there comes to be this kind of place of like um, self-reliance and acceptance, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I mean, I've actually gotten to the point where I'm like, well, wait, which one of us is really crazy? Because I'm living a life, like I'm on a mission to rewrite the script of success. And to me, it's like so many of us live success empty. That's how I was living. I felt depleted and like I was dying inside instead of feeling fired up and energized. And now I live success full, like F-U-L-L, I'm fulfilled. And I feel full of energy and full of life and light. And that's a metric of success for me. That's really important because I thought for the longest time that success and fulfillment were mutually exclusive. So now I'm like, wait a second, this like rat race, you know, everybody's in a race to burnout, you know, who can work harder, who can hustle Mm -hmm. harder, all of that stuff. Man, that feels like the crazy to me. That feels like the success empty, like well, ultimately, what are you trying to get out of your life? And do you really feel happy and fulfilled? And if you don't, what's it worth? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I think, I think it's, we've been programmed to believe that. And even, I will even say in the spiritual community, like you look at corporate America and they talk about success and achievement. But if you look in the spiritual community, they've even wrapped abundance around pictures of yachts and God wants you to be abundant. The universe wants you to be abundant. And it's the things that you have as opposed to the relationships or the the fullness that you feel within, right? And I think that it's just, it's advertising and we can go into like all of the different things that play into why we've created this culture. But, and I'm curious from your perspective, because there's, there's one thing that you wrote in some of um, your materials and you talk about in your book, um, the, the shackles of should. Yeah. And I want to like dig into that with you because I don't think I understand at the level that you're trying to convey it because I know there's the shoulda, wouldas and, or I should have done this or I, um, and I have a lot of people who come to us through our platform who are looking for help and they say, I know what I should do. And so I'm curious when you're talking about the shackles of shoulds, can you tell me what context that means for you? Yeah, absolutely. And I sort of intentionally emphasized should in some of what I said earlier, because I was hoping that we would we'd get to this. So thank you. Um, yeah, so should for me is a very dangerous and toxic word. There are some appropriate uses of should, and then there's the should that happens most frequently in our lives, which means, oh, I'm doing this because it's someone else's expectation. I'm living on someone else's terms. It's part of my conditioning over my life, whether it's parental or societal or religious or cultural, whatever it is. That should, which means I'm doing it out of perceived obligation or guilt or people pleasing or whatever it is, that's the should that I talk about as being 
really dangerous because that's a block to us ever feeling successful, to feeling Mm -hmm. that level of fulfillment because we're operating always on someone else's terms. Like I said earlier, like I was absolutely living my dad's dream. 100%. I woke up to the fact that, oh my God, I've been climbing this corporate mountain because this is my dad's dream and this is how I was conditioned and no fault of his. But I was, you know, I was kind of trying to do it my rebel way and telling myself that was okay. I found this like compromise that made it tolerable. But I mean, the reality is I had all of these, I had all these shoulds in my life. Like one of my big ones was like, I should stay in the corporate world because it was like sunk cost. I've invested all of this time and this energy in getting to this place that most people never even arrive. And but why do I feel that? So that's what I mean. And, and, and the shackles of should are how I started to think about all these various shoulds that I had in my life. I talk about three big ones in my book. I talk about I should, you know, get married and have kids. And there's, you know, whole layers of story there. I should make personal sacrifices for work. And how I was constantly like just like letting my boundaries erode and bending over backwards and always placing the value of my work over my my personal life and my personal health and well-being and relationships. And then the third one was the one I just said, you know, I should stay on the corporate track because my dad and all the years invested in all of that. And together, I think those are the ways that we kind of imprison ourselves. Those are the shackles of should where it's like, well, actually we can take them off. We're often imprisoned by our own creation. Well, and if you think about it too, like I think especially when people who who haven't gotten married or had children and they've got like this timeline of expectation, right? And it affects the way you enter and leave relationships based on a timeline of should and what society expects of you and then you're a failure if you haven't and you carry that with you and you call yourself things and I just I I totally think that we have a created paradigm right there's a created paradigm that we've all plugged into um and I think in any society there has to be some kind of expectations of what we're, we're you know people need to do in order to live in a civil society but we've created these anxious burnt out, stressed out um, shadows of ourselves. You know, they're not even, it's not even who you truly feel that you are until you kind of take a step back from it and are willing. And I think this is the other brave part. You have to be willing for everyone around you to think you're crazy. Like, I think you have to give yourself permission to be like the salacious piece of gossip for a while. Yeah, Um, I love that. Yeah, I had so... Go ahead. Brene says, Brene Brown, who I'm just, I've studied with Brene. I love her. I just, I feel like she's a modern saint in some, she wouldn't like me to say that, but in, in some respects, she says, you can't be brave and certain at the same time. And I feel Mm -hmm. like, you know what, when you can't be brave and certain at the same time, a lot of people are going to be like, well, you're crazy because you don't know where you're going. You don't know what's beyond that next step. You don't know. So that gets equated with being crazy. And I'm like, no, actually to me, it could, I equate it with being courageous. 
Right. And and being bold and wanting to, I talk in terms of rebelling for. So for me, it's like I take those bold steps because one, we never have any certainty and we don't have control. So the, we, all we can ever do is take the next right step and then the next oh, right I love that. step. Right? Yes. Well, so I have this really bad, it's not a bad habit, but it's it's a thing that I do. And I've had people tell me that it's very maudlin and that's why I kind of preface it that way. But I've written about it many times. I make decisions, big decisions. I make them from the context of my deathbed. So I will think of myself on my deathbed and the people around me that love me and I'll be like, what will I have? What will I feel at the end of my life if I did not make that decision, or love that deeply, or take that journey, or go on that trip, or have that experience, or read that? But whatever it is, and almost every time I'm kind of like, it's if you live your life from that perspective, that brave and courageous life, you have to be willing for there to be a little bit of like universal magic that's going to rise up to meet you, or or whatever that looks like, you know. I've I've blown minds with some of the the moves that I've made because they don't fit within pre- preconceived notions of how life should look. But I'm like, but I'm good. I always rise like a little phoenix. So it's all <laughs> it's well, it's all in. Yeah. Is it, isn't it amazing? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just want to build on what you're saying. Like how amazing is it that when you take that next step, however scary that step is, and it will be when you're living your truth, it's going to feel very scary to live your truth out loud and create your life around that truth. And the universe is going to respond. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. the universe has opened like doors and portals that I couldn't have even imagined. I mean, if I think about four years ago, I walked away from this big job that I could have very comfortably stayed in for a very long time. And I was like, I'm just going to see, I'm going to take that first step and just see what this is all about. And then I'm going to start listening. And then I'm going to sort of start taking steps in the directions of what a direction of what I'm hearing. Then my, my dad has this crazy stroke and it all just like, it, life seemed so short to me. And I was like, if not now, then when? Yeah. And ever since then, it's been one step at a time that has opened these doors. I couldn't even imagine had you and I met five years ago and you'd have been like, so in the future, you and I are (laughs) going to be having this conversation on my podcast and you're going to be an entrepreneur leading a movement around soulbatical and a life more authentic, courageous, and purposeful. You're going to have a book and a podcast and all these things. I would have been like, what? <laughs> the language wouldn't have made sense because right. I didn't know all of that. It unfolded. Oh, I love that because like even with mine, when I left mine, I knew that I had a platform. I knew that I was likely going to write another book. I knew that I wanted to have a podcast. I did not know like I was going to have an app and I was going to like, there was other things that kind of unfolded because I just simply kept pulling at the string and being like, well, what else? Well, what else could I do? And I've met, I've created these beautiful relationships and partnerships and a company with a great culture. And I had no idea any of that was going to show up. And I think that that's probably one of the biggest lessons is that it's not leap and the wings will appear on the way down. It's more like have some faith and things show up in a much bigger, more beautiful way, I think, than we can ever imagine. So Um, true. Are you a fan of the book? Um, So Michael Singer wrote The Untethered Soul, and then he followed it up with The Surrender Experiment. I just read it like two weeks ago. Yeah. 
Oh, it is a book I go back to again and again. It is probably yeah. one of the books I, re- or those are probably two of the books I recommend most often for anybody who's watching or listening to this who hasn't read it. It is, this is what I try to practice every day. Trust and surrender, trust and surrender. And his story of what happened to him as he surrendered into what came to him every single day. It's like a Hollywood movie. It is, it is almost unbelievable. And it's a reminder, like that's what the universe has in store. Like we're, we're not, we're not in charge of all of this. Yeah. I love, so with the surrender experiment, it was interesting because you know, in the premise of the book is of course that he almost kind of like, he wanted to be this like Yogi in the woods And every time something would come to him, he'd be like, ah, I just want to be alone in the woods and be a yogi and meditate. And, but bigger and bigger and bigger opportunities where he was affecting thousands of lives over time and building great wealth that he didn't care anything about. Um, And it was so funny because I have moments where I'm irritated and I'll think of him because in the book he would get irritated because someone was in between him and his meditation in the woods. And he's like, just say yes to the thing in front of you. And it always ended up being this really big, beautiful opportunity. And I've had a couple of moments like that where something shows up in my life as a, like, you have to make a decision right now and it's really irritating. And I'm like, is this a Michael Singer moment? Is this like one of those moments where I just say yes and see what happens? Or am I, do I trust my, like, and, and that's the other thing too, is I think sometimes like we don't know the difference between our intuition and our programming. Yes. You know, and you kind of have to figure out which one's looking out for you and which one is, uh, is keeping you so safe that you stay in the, in the matrix. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the matrix and in your little tiny sandbox, instead of playing as big and bold as we can in our lives. Yeah. And I'm curious for you, cause you talked about how like you had no idea what things were going to look like. Do you now have a plan or are you still kind of like, I've got like these things that I do, but I'm just like, are you living that Michael Singer kind of way? Yeah, that's a juicy question. I would say, okay, I'm going to be really honest. I've never been much of a planner. So I'm going to say that just as a foundational point. Never been much of a planner, but I now understand the power of just taking it one step at a time. Mm -hmm. So do I have a sense now for where I want to take this business? Yeah, I kind of see what the next step is, but I don't really see beyond the next step. I have a couple next steps. Like I know for sure I want to write another book, but the timing will present itself. I'm not Mm -hmm. trying to rush it or force it. I don't know exactly when it's going to happen, but I can feel it bubbling up inside of me. So I'm honoring that. I have this sense for where I, what the next step of sylvatical is because I'm on a mission to liberate a billion souls. And I can't do that on my own. I don't intend to do that on my own. I want to keep these, like the ripples of impact going so that that is the, you know, becomes the wave that creates the change. And so I've been thinking a lot about, well, what are those more scalable opportunities? And right now my big thought is, what if I bring Solvatical back to companies? Like I go full circle and go back into corporations and say, here's what Solvatical could look like for you to yeah. create more wholehearted, courageous, and humans first cultures, to take care of your leaders, attract and retain talent. So I'm really excited. But honestly, I'm only kind of ever thinking about that one step, like what's the next thing I want to create or what's the thing that's coming to me? Some stuff in the educational space is coming to me. And I'm like, 
oh, this is interesting. I'd never thought about this. Like, what if we can get this concept of sabbatical seeded for the next generation of leaders? Like, that's fascinating. That's a huge idea. Right? Like, have it with an even business school early. Yeah. So it's Michael Singer esque. I mean, I would love to, (laughs) I don't, I don't know that I'm like as, I don't know that I'm that good at the surrender piece yet, but I'm definitely not trying to plan even a year or two into the future. I'm really riding the wave as it comes. I love that. I feel like I'm kind of doing the same thing. Like I have visions of what I would like to have happen, but I also know that they also might fall, right? Because sometimes you'll have a plan in place or an idea in place. And then as you get closer to it, something else kind of takes its place and it kind of falls out of your, out of your periphery. And I think, I think I've probably always lived like that. I've always been a little bit of a rebel though, too. Like I never, I was raised really super religious and my father was a minister and I was like, no, I don't believe this. And like, I, I was always the one who was like, I didn't want to conform yeah. to the status quo. I didn't this want is to like do- the Footloose movie. I feel like we're reliving Footloose. <laughs> <laughs> For I sure. But I think even now I'm kind of like, I, you know, people, I, I still have people who are like, what are you doing? Um, but it's always that kind of like, I, I have the faith in not only what will meet me and I do have faith in, in the universe and our ability to co-create, but also in myself and my past experience. And I think that sometimes what we don't think of is like, whenever you leap, you're leaping with experience and knowledge and skill sets that you may have forgotten that you've acquired since your last leap, you know, like you, you've got something coming with you. You have a toolbox so that as you move forward, um, you're going to be a lot more effective and efficient, but yeah. So true. My, my, the first coach I, well, I had an executive coach when I was at Harley who helped me start to work through a lot of this. And then the first coach I kind of hired on this journey he said to me, I kept calling myself a new coach as I was getting into coaching and realizing that was part of the business that I wanted to create. And he's like, really, Shelly? So you've been in the corporate world for 26 years. You've been leading teams of 200 people. I'm guessing that leadership development and coaching your people was a part of what you did. And I'm like, well, of course it was. Oh, you know, you have that big (laughs) aha moment where I'm like, you're right. I may be new to coaching full time, but I'm definitely not a new coach. And I think so many of us forget that. I mean, I've leapt across categories, different categories, different products in my, in my entire career. This is another example of that, but I've always brought that experience with me and it has always served me well. And you're right. We're so quick to discount what we've done our entire lives, but that matters in whatever we're creating in the future. 100%. I love it. And I love this conversation. And one of the things that you said that really hit me was like talking about the ripple. Um, because for me, and that's one of the things that I most wanted to do working in corporate America, um, while we managed money, we also, I was personally involved in the socially, socially responsible investing and understanding impact and uh, gender lens investing and clean energy and, and marrying, um, investing strategy with the global development goals, right? Like how do we put money towards social solutions? And I was getting involved in corporate social responsibility and all of these things. And all of a sudden, like it all came to me, like these are the things that we have to create now. Like you were talking about education, sabbatical at an early age. We have to get people understanding how their footprint and the way they make decisions is so incredibly important long-term. And so I... 
I come from that corporate, right? So like, I'm like, I want to create a ripple effect that creates generational social change. I would like for people to come to us because they want to live better, healthier lives. And in the process of doing that, they have better, healthier relationships. Their children are going to have a different paradigm. It's going to be a continuous ripple. And with that being said, I'm curious from your perspective. And the question I ask everyone is, you know, the premise of the show is making love go viral. So I think you've kind of already answered this, but like, how do you either, how are you doing it on the daily or how would you recommend that someone that's listening could make love go viral? So I, I think it all starts with loving ourselves, honestly. So one of my favorite love notes to the world is authenticity is the truest form of rebellion. And when I think about showing up every day as my authentic self and that, you know, courageous light in the world, I know that it gives other people permission to do the same. And people who've read my book have said, thank you for giving me permission to just be me. And thank you for you know, helping me to not feel so alone on this journey. And so that to me is an example of like how we make this go viral. I believe in ripples of impact. I believe that is the new definition of ROI. And so the more each of us are doing it and making those very authentic, courageous, and purposeful choices in our lives, the more we're being role models for other people and we're giving others permission to do that in their own lives. And that's a big ripple that starts to create that change. I love that. I think it's so it's so valuable. And the conversations, these conversations are so valuable. And I think it's becoming a lot more approachable, right, to be... Um, someone who whose career is important to them, but also understands what it means to have soul and believe in in the effect that they have by living an authentic life. And I'm glad it's coming more into the mainstream. It could be, of course, what I'm consuming. Um, but I do feel like uh, there's so many of us kind of on this mission that we're gonna. There's there's definitely like things changing. Um, if anyone is interested in picking up your book or following your journey, where can they go? Yeah. So the easiest place to find me in all things about me is soulbatical.com. Soulbatical is with two Bs and one T. That will have info on the book where you can buy it. By the way, the book is everywhere where you can buy books. You can find the book. Um, It has info on Rebel Souls, which is my podcast. It's on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. And you can also sign up for my newsletter, which is Soul Fuel. It goes out the first Sunday of every month. And it's like a big hug. It's the things that are inspiring me that I like to share with my community. And uh, Instagram is my playground. I'm at Soulbatical. And uh, if you're, you know, want to take the business route, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm Shelly Paxton. You know, connect and follow me there. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing. This was a fantastic conversation. <laughs> um, I really appreciate what you're doing. And we'll make sure to put all the links in the show notes. And thank you so much for, for just sharing your, your soul, sharing your light. Thank you. I feel connected, soul sister. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining today. I love Shelly's reminder that when we have faith and take the next right step, we allow for life to unfold for us in a bigger and more beautiful way than we ever could have imagined. You can find Shelly online at soulbatical.com and on Instagram and Twitter at soulbatical. As always, please subscribe, leave a review, and don't forget to share with your friends. We are always interested in content that uplifts. So if you have ideas, we'd love to hear from you. 
Email us at dearlive at loveisviral.com. You can also find us on Instagram at loveisviral.media or visit our website at loveisviral.com. Apple users, don't forget to give the Live Pocket Coach a try by downloading it for free for seven days.